0: how one pastor and his wife and their church reached their community for Christ on this episode of ReChurch. Welcome to ReChurch. I'm Marshall Fant, the Director of Church Consulting and Strategic Planning for Gospel Fellowship Association Missions. My purpose is to encourage pastors and church leaders as you refocus, renew, and revitalize your churches. We've established this podcast to offer practical tips and suggestions as you equip disciples to make disciples. Thank you for joining us on this episode of ReChurch. I'm Marshall Fant with GFA Missions. And this morning, I had the great privilege of interviewing Greg and Danielle Baker. So Greg and Danielle, thank you for joining us. So Greg, Danielle, Greg, tell everybody, for those that don't know you, uh, where you minister, a little bit about your family.
1: And Danielle, tell us about the age of your children. So Greg, tell tell everybody where you are. I'm the pastor of Fellowship Bible Church, which is in a the Ogden Valley uh, of northern Utah. You drive north from Salt Lake about an hour, turn right about 15 minutes, and we're in a little valley up there. And you've been there how many years? I've been there eight years now, and uh, I took over from the planting pastor who had been there I think 12 years before that. So I'm the first fully supported pastor. And so a little bit more about the church, and then we'll get to your family. I've been in your
0: church. I've seen your church. So for, for Utah, it's a great self-supporting church, right? I mean, yes. So about how many people just to give our audience yeah. an idea?
1: Well, we've been growing our first, when we got there, the church was about 75. And then over the course of about five years, we didn't grow any. We, we actually went back, we went down to about 50 when we first arrived. And then we kept turning over the congregation because the economy was bad and people were leaving. And then in the last Three years, we've basically doubled. So we've been mm-hmm. running in the hundreds, you know, between ninety and one hundred five.
0: And for a Bible-believing church in Utah, in the valley where you, yeah, have, that's mm-hmm. that's fantastic.
1: That's a that's a good-sized yeah. church in Utah. The mega churches down in Ogden run about three hundred. Okay. A really good-sized conservative church runs. That's in town. Runs you know between one hundred fifty and two hundred. So we've been doing really. The Lord has really been blessing. Good, good. So Danielle, family, tell us about your family here.
2: Well, we have four children, and our oldest is nine. He was actually born in Missouri, but then came to Utah pretty quickly after that. And then our youngest, oh, it's all the way down to two. So we have a nine-year-old son, six-year-old daughter Charlotte, four-year-old son Schaefer, and two-year-old Grace. Wow,
0: fantastic. So, I'm tired all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also, you know, your church kind of segues into Pioneer Bible Camp, right? So y'all do a lot of ministry with uh, Pioneer? Again, I've had the privilege of seeing the camp. So yes. I think between Fellowship Bible Church and Pioneer Bible Camp, mm-hmm. really you ministry goes all the way through most of Utah and the surrounding states. Is that
1: fair to say? Yeah. Well, for those listening? Yeah, all through Utah. And yeah. especially with the initiative we've begun, we'll probably get into this a little bit later, something called the Sago Lily Foundation. And that's really going to be statewide, we're, we're hoping. Um, but yeah, the camp has given us some inroads into the state and beyond, but we're really hoping the Sega Lily Foundation takes off inside of Utah.
0: Good. Okay, so the topic of our podcast this morning. Again, I've, I've seen your church, I've seen the way you interact with your community, and I think uh, for many years our churches have forgotten our communities and we have isolated ourselves and just hired missionaries to go do our evangelism. Yep. And I've seen what y'all do, so let's talk through a little bit first, uh, Greg, I'll let you speak to the church and to the men, how you've interacted, you know, your church. How did you make a way, especially in uh, LDS territory? Mm -hmm. What intentionally have you done? I know it all starts with prayer. It's bathed in prayer. I'm not neglecting that ministry. But what have you done philosophically? Um, What is your theological persuasion for this? And then, Danielle, I want you to address how your family's integrated
1: in. So, Greg, talk to us a little bit. Yeah, there's really three scriptural bullet points that we sort of follow. Um, The first one being that to do the work of the evangelist, okay? Uh, But what does that mean? Does that mean I'm supposed to go around like an evangelist and pull a fifth wheel and only preach the gospel to unconverted? Well, In Romans chapter 1, Paul says that he is excited to preach the gospel to Roman Christians. And so doing the work of the evangelist involves not only preaching to the unconverted, but preaching to the converted and helping them understand their own justification, helping them bathe in it to where we're feeding an army of evangelizers. Um, So it really begins by evangelizing our own body and then seeing them move forward. And that goes into the second point, which is equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. God gives pastors and teachers for that specific role. And so we're constantly evangelizing our own people, we're constantly trying to equip our own people. Um, The third sort of scriptural point that we kind of gravitate to is that the Apostle Paul, when he was traveling around, kind of stuck to what he knew. He would go to synagogues, he would go lecture You know, at Mars Hill, there were were several avenues of ministry that he engaged in that he felt comfortable with. And so that's really what we've sort of gravitated to because when we first got there, we came with ideas of what ministry would look like. But Mormon land is a completely different culture. Right, okay. I back up just a second? So in the valley where you minister, yes. like how many people are there in the valley? There's probably between 15 and 20,000. And then just over the hill, right. um, it's about a 15 minute drive is Ogden, which is it's the second largest city in Utah. Right, yes. And Ogden also has a university, right? Yes, Weber State University. Okay, so you've got Ogden 15 minutes away. Yes. The valley where you
0: are, fifteen to 20000 Yes. Got it, okay, so I just wanted to fill that in. So as your thinking community for our listeners, I wanted them to have some perspective. Yes. All right, so now you got your, your theological grid you're working through. Mm-hmm. So go ahead and take it from there.
1: Yeah, so when we came, you know, we've, we've got ideas about how we're supposed to minister and get the word out. But ministering in Utah is kind of like this. Um, Imagine they put you at the end of a dark hallway and and they say there's a target down there somewhere. You can't see it. And they hand you a bow and arrow and say shoot down there and hit the target. And you draw the arrow back and you shoot it and it goes thunk into the dark. And you have no clue where it landed. And so we just started doing a lot of trial and error. Hmm. And we had to be really flexible and nimble. We had to be willing to cut the cord on certain programs we didn't think were working On the flip side, when we do encounter a program we think has potential, it requires a lot of patience to stick with it because LDS people don't trust. They don't trust very quickly at all. And we find it takes about three to five years of consistent contacts to really create that trust. And so one thing we started gravitating to was what we know. And so for example, I played a lot of baseball growing up. So I coach my son's little league baseball team. Our associate pastor played a lot of soccer, so he coaches soccer in the right. community. I played basketball for my high school team, so I coached a little league basketball team. And soccer. Yeah, I coached soccer too, uh, even though I didn't really know what I was doing. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and so and so we started gravitating to what we knew, and then I know sports, and so eventually we kind of landed on a on an evangelistic soccer camp, okay. and that has yielded us so many contacts into the community more than we ever could have imagined uh, coaching baseball has lent to that mm-hmm. and so um we more did more than
2: vbs or awana combined
1: really? oh yeah far far awana more. So,
2: and vbs were more for our own church people we've discovered after eight yeah. years we really don't so danielle
0: do you, do you do a vbs in the summer
2: right one and? week of vbs in august so before the kids start school we've done it in june too thinking maybe if we change oh. the month that might help and it doesn't
1: we had our just for perspective? We had our all time high at, for VBS attendance this year, yeah. and it was 34. Okay. That's our all time high. And yes. the first year we did soccer camp, we had 75, the second year we had 110, I think, wow. and then last year we had to cap it at 150. Wow! So without
2: it, I mean, we did try, but without even trying like we did for VBS or Awana, so they just come.
0: So theologically, you're working through that, you found what it's comfortable for you Mm -hmm. where your giftedness is Mm -hmm. and then you just kind of use that and so this begin to be a little light at the end of the tunnel is that what you're saying that (laughs) dark
1: tunnel? yeah yeah exactly we're hoping so so Danielle let's
0: pick it up with with you the ladies the children Mm -hmm. I know again for the sake of our listeners who don't know so you're in the middle of Mormon territory right Uh, you're in a community of 15 to 20,000 so tell us how you integrate your life your children what safeguards you put in place at the same time, what boldness you have uh, with the gospel.
2: I remember when Greg and I told some others that we, were, we felt like the Lord wanted us to go to Utah. A woman pulled me aside and said, Well, you most surely will move away when the kids are teenagers, right? And I said, I don't think so. And she said, Well, surely you will, because you don't want your teenagers to grow up in that. They'll go the way of the world, and so you'll probably move away. You don't want them around that. And it shocked me a little bit because I thought, God's called us to go there. I don't just leave because things might get tricky. So it did make me think though, and the LDS community is deceptive in that they tell their children, tell our kids, well, we're just the same. We're Christians just like you. And I can't tell you how many times my heart is broken over seeing our young people actually who were in the public school or um, around that culture all the time and are told that every single day they end up marrying LDS folks Mm -hmm. or
0: Completely. All right, so let me push the pause button one minute, because you're from the West, right?
2: Sort of, so, yes. <laughs> okay, so
0: what, this is not just the West. You're in a very special, you're oh, in yes. a Very, a very intensely pop. Yes. I mean, we know Utah, but for the sake of our listeners, I just want to make sure we're drawing this in. You're surrounded.
1: What, what percentage would be LDS there in your valley? Well, that's a really tough what? question to answer because... Um, Claiming to be LDS. Yes, yes. Well... Okay, so our valley is probably pretty representative of Utah as a whole. There's probably anywhere between half to 60% of our valley that is very true, true we call them TBMs, true blue Mormons, okay? Yep. Um, they, they go to a sacrament meeting every week. They're involved in the church. They take callings. They want to send their kids on missions, things like that. And then there's a certain percentage of what we call Jack Mormons, and that's probably another 20-25% of people. Uh, And then then there's people that aren't anything at all. But what we found is, is that no matter how you shake it down, about 90% of the state has what I call a Mormon worldview, where even if they're not practicing Mormons, even if they weren't necessarily Mm. raised in a Mormon home, it's in their background. And so their perception of God and their perception of truth is almost entirely Mormon. Mm. And it's a worldview. Okay. And it's a worldview as different as Eastern Buddhism and the Islamic worldview. It's as different as that is, as <clears throat> the, the Mormon like us, one is. Yes, yeah, they look us. and yeah. They use a lot of the same
2: terminology. Oh, so, go ahead. Yeah, exactly. So Daniel, pick
1: back up so now. So that go was
2: on. a concern for me yeah. uh, when it came to schooling my children when they were ready to start going to school. Did I want to look at my children as little evangelists in the public school? There is no private school option. So it's either homeschooling or public school, charter schools too. And I didn't feel comfortable. Um, it's not like my kids are going to school and there's a clear unsafe group of children and a clear Christian group we've got this unsafe groups calling themselves Christians and I didn't really want that for my children so I have a degree in education I love to teach so I homeschool my children right now but when it comes to involving them in the community we're really selective about what we've chosen whether it's an art class or gymnastics class or anything extracurricular I have seen my kids really enjoy that. And actually, my nine-year-old coming home and saying, I asked my teacher if she believed in God. <laughs> yeah. So he's getting some of that exposure sure. in a once-a-week class, but it's not eight hours every day, all you know, day, six days, five days a week.
0: You know what I'm saying? Say, there's an intentional, oh, yes. you thought yeah. through this, you've prayed oh, yes. through it, yeah. and you all have an intentional plan and, purpose. and it might yeah. change
2: eventually, yeah. but for but it, right now. For
0: this season. Right. Okay, it's so what I always like to say with our kids. For this season, right. this yeah. is what we're going to do. The right.
1: way we see it is Utah will be benefited by our kids being really good evangelists when they're in their 20s and beyond. But this time of their life from here to 18, it, it's really on us to evangelize them and train them. Right. And they're in training mode right now, not in evangelistic mode. Right. And really, the best way we can serve the gospel ultimately is to fill them with truth so that they recognize false when they see it. Because you're living in the midst of falsehood. Yes. You're living
0: in the midst of darkness. Yes. But still, I think the key that I was so thankful for your family is even though you're living in the midst of darkness, you're taking the light of Christ into this darkness. Mm. And so I wanted people to hear how y'all have a plan to do that. Yeah. All right, so Daniel, let's go a little bit further. So I know you've prayed through. This is the way you're educating your children. Mm-hmm. For this point, Greg explained theologically why you're doing this. What has been some of the greatest encouragements as a mom? Because you're a pastor's wife, uh, you're homeschooling, mm-hmm. you're living in the midst of very minority Christians. Right. You got a great church, so you got great fellowship. Moms and pastors' wives who may be struggling with this. Mm. Okay. What have been some, some of those great, okay, this is a good moment. Can you just share maybe one or two? or
2: I am thankful predominantly that we're not alone. I feel like my children don't have a lot of good, deep friendships with kids outside of our church. But we're also not a congregation of 10. I'm very thankful the Lord has brought quite a few kids to our church that my children can be friends with. Okay. And they have many social outlets, which I know is the main complaint about homeschooling is they don't have sure. to be social. They do.
1: Yeah.
2: But I, one of the things that started out concerning me. We had a neighbor boy come and spend quite a bit of time with our family. He ended up living with his grandparents for a little while and they lived right across the street and my kids were thrilled to have a friend. We live on a rural farm town road. So to finally have a child near, my kids pounced and it was so neat to see my children unabashedly talk about God, wanted to know if he wanted to come to church, come to Awana. Of course, he turned them down flat at every moment. and it. it, they had the burden. They did, and they would come back to the house and say, Mom, Gunner doesn't believe in God. He won't come to church. And I remember how devastated my children were that there were actually people out there who didn't believe in God. So it was a terrific opportunity that I was also controlling <laughs> to have him over to our house, only our house, to say, this is, this is what some people, this is how they live. They've either been hurt in some religion that they were in before and they want nothing to do with anything else. I think Gunnar's parents used to be LDS and they are not anymore and were pretty bitter about religion. So it was a chance to talk to my nine and six-year-old about how some people feel and how we love them anyway and how we Absolutely. continue to minister to them. We don't give up on them. We love them. Um, we don't know where they're coming from and what their parents are telling them. So we're going to still love Gunner. Yeah. and his brother, and,
0: and again, the, I love the, that. And, and with your kids being involved in soccer and baseball and basketball, again, it is a chance for the community to see your family, mm-hmm. right, in total support of each other, reaching out. Oh, yeah. And again, for those who may not listen in the beginning, um, Pastor Baker, Dr. Baker, is also coaching this. So that gives him that personal evangelism, personal relationship time in order to gain an audience in
1: mm-hmm. this.
0: Yep. So what else here? So we talked about the theological grid of what you're working through, the way you're educating your children. You've got church activities. You've got the Awana going on.
2: Playtime, too, I forgot right. to
0: mention. Go ahead. Just
2: regular playtime at the playground. The Lord actually had to use that as a growing experience. I would go to the playground just want to sit. At Local
0: the, community playground, right. again, community mm-hmm. of 10 20,000. Right. There's yeah.
2: a few playgrounds, and so I would go yeah. to one and just kind of want to sit and not think about anything and not talk to anybody. Sometimes I have those moments. And the Lord would bring <laughs> a woman along with children, <laughs> and I think, oh, I didn't want to talk to anyone today, <laughs> but that woman's here now, and I need to talk. And so I've had times where I just told God no, and I felt very guilty afterwards. And so I have been trying to use that, my children somewhat, because they're playing at the playground, but use that as an opportunity to meet women. And we've actually talked about that in our church group of moms, quite a few of us young moms.
0: So my experience with LDS is they think they have the perfect families. They really do not understand a biblical view of family. Would that be fair to say?
1: Um, that's I mean, an understatement. Okay. All right.
0: I was trying just to set the table for you to take yes. off with that. So your moments in the part or your moments coaching. Yeah. All right. You would just want to run with that.
1: Sure. Um, so in the, in the LDS community, it's a a weird mix of male headship, but matriarchalism. Okay. And the the weird mix is this. When an LDS couple gets married. They don't call it marriage so much as they call it being sealed for time and eternity in the temple. Okay. And the man holds all the cards. In fact, they call it holding the keys. He holds all the priesthood keys. Okay. And her salvation is dependent on staying in his good graces. If she wants to rise to meet him in the celestial kingdom, In the resurrection, he calls down her secret name that he learns at their wedding ceremony and Mm -hmm. calls her up. So you would think that it would result in this really heavy Mm male-dominated society, and it does that in a sense. And the men, Utah faithful Mormon men, are very hard. They're they're very hard to love. Mm -hmm. They're know-it-alls. They believe they have all the keys to the kingdom, and And they're one of God's champions in the pre-existence and all these. And they're going to be gods of their own planet. But it doesn't create activity. It actually creates passivity. And so, like, for example, we went to a neighborhood cookout. And when it came time to pick up the tables, you know, if any missionaries are listening, I'm sure you can identify. Um, You know, we pastors, we spent half of our time picking up chairs and tables. You know what I mean? So the time to put the tables away, I just started picking up tables and chairs and putting them away. And I looked around, and none of the other Mormon men were lifting a finger because that's not their job, you know. And they were just off kind of sitting sunning themselves, you know. And it occurred to me that me serving was a really weird thing. It was just me and the other ladies there serving. So it creates this real passivity and withdrawn nature from the men. Well, if the woman is going to ascend to the highest heaven, if her husband's going to call her down, call her up rather, she's got to keep him faithful so the way it ends up happening is the moms end up driving the religiosity of the family so you've got this kind of arrogant withdrawn dad and a mom whose salvation Mm. is dependent on keeping him active pushing the process Mm. and so that's totally backward biblically where The husband loves his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, where he is the one serving and he is the one washing, and she's coming underneath and and learning from him and listening to him and coming alongside and complimenting him. That gets totally turned on its head. And so family-wise, when we start to minister to LDS families, what we do can be seen. And so, for example, I'll, I'll, I'll give two examples, okay? Uh, the first example is, like, at the end of the baseball season, we have a picnic. We throw a big end-of-the-year party. And I tell them, hey, you guys didn't sign up for a sermon. You signed up for baseball. Let me just say this. If you've seen joy in me and my wife, because Mormons don't talk about joy. Mm. That's like... It's all work. It's all... it's all. Yeah. In fact, they call their plan of salvation God's plan for happiness. They don't even mm. call it joy. and It's like this thing they can't even imagine, so they don't talk about it. So I say, if you've seen joy in us... There's a reason for that. If you haven't seen joy, go on your merry way. Uh, but if you have, we would love to talk to you about it because there's a reason for it. And believe it or not, that really appeals to Mormon families. They, That's a point of curiosity. Do men
0: respond, women respond, or both?
1: Both, both mm-hmm. to that. Generally, it's the women that respond to initial spiritual inquiries. Right. Um, Which is not unusual. In our, in, in, no. Yeah. Uh-uh, uh-uh. All right, so, and it was. And so the yeah, second okay. thing is that... People pick up on a genuine relationship and a genuine eagerness to serve. They get callings from their bishop and stake president, and it's very obligatory. There's a fella in my community, and I found out that he had uh, cancer. And so uh, he's a Mormon fella. So I just popped in and ministered to him from time to time. He was on a park board that I served on for a mm-hmm. while. And then just around the horn, I got a phone call that hospice had been called in to care for him, which I guess he'd really progressed over a couple of weeks. And so I went over to the house and knocked on the door and I knocked on the door and the door opened and his son, the whole family was there. They said, you must be pastor Greg. And I was like, they didn't even know I was coming or I didn't think they did, but apparently they were looking for my number. And in the meantime, A third party had told me he was dying and so by the time I showed up, they were actually waiting for me. And so I walked into his room where this poor man is dying and I I said, what would you like me to do? And they said, tell us what we need to hear. Wow. And so there was probably, I don't know, 10 or 15 family members in there. And I just knelt. His name was Lynn. I knelt next to Lynn's bed and I preached the gospel Hmm. for probably 10 minutes and the whole family listened. And those opportunities just are so rare but now you met lynn as a result of being involved in the
0: community yes mm-hmm. in a park right mm-hmm. so, and then so had, let's go back to and that. they had observed yeah. something yes.
1: genuine that they wanted especially his wife
0: so how long had you known lynn to this point probably three years yeah mm-hmm. three or so four years i just want to encourage pastors to hear this because it takes time Yes. And you got to start somewhere to get involved in the community. Trust is the most important yeah. quotient, and yeah. that's what we're always trying to build is trust. And I think that's across all cultures. That's not just Mormon land. That's here in the South as well. Mm. Yeah. So as we wrap this up, Danielle, any closing thoughts to encourage moms, pastors, wives on this area?
2: I would say that if some moms find themselves alone, that they really need to develop a relationship, even if the woman isn't close, to find a woman older and wiser and contact them at least once a week for encouragement okay. i'm a oh, christian woman Christ, christian okay. woman okay. i'm blessed to have several and if there's
0: no one in their area they, they need to, need to find They need to. reach out they yeah. can't be
2: alone yeah. women don't we like to say we're independent and can be <laughs> on our own but we really don't we um, want to know that somebody else is going through something yeah, We
0: men are kind of like that since so when <laughs> <Dr. laughs> it comes to any, child rearing and yeah. stuff yeah, oh, yeah you want no, someone sorry, else
2: you want someone else to be able to sure. bounce things off of and give you encouragement and challenge mentors. you, okay. right? Yeah. Okay.
1: You know, I would just say, don't be afraid to fail. Just try a bunch of different things, and not shoot that arrow down the door yeah, and not times. yeah, <laughs> or like my, I had a boss. to say, just throw it against the wall and see if it sticks, yeah. and just try it because every community will have something different that gets traction for you, and so. Don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to try new things. And yeah, and then eventually you'll stumble onto something and go, okay, this is a hook we can get into the community.
0: Great. Well, thank you all so much again, uh, Greg and Daniel Baker. Uh, I'm Marshall Fant. This is ReChurch. I appreciate all the work Sarah Hartwick does on this and editing, so thank her for her work on this. If you got any questions you'd like for us to address on ReChurch, you can email me at mfant at gfamissions.org. Okay, Greg, Danielle, thank y'all so much. Oh, thank you. You're listening to ReChurch, a podcast of Gospel Fellowship Association missions. If you would like more information about our ministry or how we may assist you and your church, visit us at gfamissions.org/consulting.